0: How many of you would agree that uh, life can hurt? Life can hurt, can't it? You know, Monday, uh, we celebrated Memorial Day. And if you don't know, that's not just about barbecue or not going to work. That is memorializing, remembering our soldiers who who gave their lives in, in the war. Our recent wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, and this is probably a conservative figure that we believe about seven thousand uh, Americans have died just in the recent wars, recent times. That's sad. I, the, the The floods and the tornadoes in the south and southwest part of our country recently have certainly uh, brought some needed rain, to areas. but man, they've they've hurt people. I mean. Uh, Just this last few days, four people died in Texas and 12 were missing. That's the last report I saw. And then even last week in Ruston, we had a tragedy uh, with with some of our floods. We understand pain and that life can hurt. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. If you don't know where Judges is... If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. If you have a Bible, it's right at the first. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then, then, Judges. And if you're Zach or Josh, chapter 6 is after chapter what, Emily? Chapter 5, right? So, to help them if you need to. We're going we're to look tonight at a guy that actually gets the most press of any of the judges in this This interesting book. How many of you have been here on Sunday nights this spring and heard some of the the sermons from this? This, I'm telling you, this is an R rated book. So, some of you teenagers, you may need to stop up your ears from week to week, time to time. It is, uh, I mean, there's murder, there's mayhem, fat people getting stuck uh, with swords. It's it's an incredible, uh, incredible book. And, And this guy, Gideon, he gets three chapters. he gets 100 verses. Now, we're going to look at Samson on Sunday morning. He gets about 96 verses. But this guy, Gideon, he gets a lot of press. And we're going to kind of kick off his story tonight, although we won't really uh, see much of Gideon. But we're going to talk about pain. And I just want to begin with this. In your life, you will experience pain. You're going to experience pain. If you don't know that, Wake up and smell the coffee because it it is uh, it's a part of life. In verse 1, we're going to start and look through verse verse 1 through 5. We're going to take this kind of slow at first. It says, again, you notice that word, again, the Israelites did evil. They had a uh, great propensity for this in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, who are the Midianites? Well, they're, they're at this time a nomadic type people. I mean, they may have lived in a certain area, but they roamed a lot. Moses, when he left Egypt after he murdered a guy, if you remember this story, he went and married a woman from where? Midian, her name was Zipporah. Her her dad, her his father-in-law, was a guy named Jethro. And they were great people and godly people. They're not good people at this point. They're mean people and they're mean to the Jewish people. In verse 2 and 3 it says, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, in the caves, and the strongholds. And whenever the, the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern people invaded them. We're going to see in a moment, they don't just invade a country. Man, they they come in and they pillage it. The Amalekites have a history of being bad people uh, in the Old Testament. And it's going to be later on that King David uh, is is going to, or Saul, and David are going to eliminate these people. These are bad people. They're teaming up against the Jewish people, and they're wrecking havoc on them. In verse 4, they camped on the land. And they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. Again, they they came in, boy, and they roughed things up. And look in verse 5. This kind of sums it up. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. You you know what a home invasion is? A home invasion is a terrible thing. It's where a criminal breaks in your house and kind of... Tortures or uh, traumatizes you as they rob from you and steal from you. And hopefully that doesn't last but a short period of time. This is a home invasion that was lasting about four to six months every time it happened. The Jewish people would plant their crops, the crops would almost be ready, the harvest time. It's like you get your, some of you people, you have a garden, and right when it's time for the garden to be ready to be picked and to be taken inside, somebody comes in and steals it all. And these people would come in and harvest. They would steal everything. They would eat everything. It says they were like a bunch of locusts. We have a picture of a locust for our screen there. Now, In our part of the world, we're not as familiar with this, but parts of the world, even in modern era, era, locusts will invade and just really traumatize places. Now, let me tell you about what happened in Somaliland in 1957. They had an invasion of locusts that experts estimate was about 16 billion locusts. And they fly in these swarms, and they said that 16 billion locusts would have weighed about 50,000 tons. And a locust can eat its body weight every day in food. Can you imagine that, if you could do that, what you would weigh a week from now? But they can eat their weight. So when 50,000 tons of locusts landed in Somaliland, it was devastating. The people in Israel understood this too. So what they're saying is when the Midianites and the and these bad people, came in, man, they run things. Notice it says they came in on camels. Now, what's the significance of that? We have a picture of two camels. One is the double-hump camel, not seen much in Rustin, and the single-hump camel. Seen more in Dubak, but occasionally in Rustem. Now, the, the scholars believe that these were the single-hump camels. Now, what's the significance of a camel at this time? Well, they were, camels were, were really good for war. A camel, you could pack about 400 pounds of supplies on it and get on it yourself. A camel could travel 30 to maybe 35 or 40 miles a day, and it can go three days without any water. And when you're in a desert-type environment, that's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's a, an awesome weapon. So basically what was happening, man, these people, when they came in, they were roughing everything up. Let me tell you a quick camel story. When Cindy and I went to Israel, a few years ago, this is the first day we're in Israel. I mean, the first hour of a six-day tour, okay? Cindy almost got us kicked out of country. We're on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended and went back to heaven. And we're looking at the beautiful wall of Jerusalem. And Cindy walks up to a man holding a camel, and she takes a picture. I don't know what he was saying, but I bet it was cussing in some foreign language because he was hot. And our guide translated that you have to pay for a picture of that camel. I thought Cindy and I were going to be thrown out of Israel uh, at that time sent over to, to the Palestinian territory or something. But that's a side note. What was, what was happening to these people? Everything terrible you can imagine economically they were destroyed you're in an agricultural society and people come in and they destroy all your camels all your all your cows all your sheep they destroy your crop listen these people couldn't do anything the jewish people couldn't they were living in the caves they were hiding in the caves as the people destroyed everything that they had listen that's pain friend and I will tell you tonight, some of you are experiencing it, or some of you will experience it in the near future if you live long enough. You're going to experience pain. You're, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer physically, you're going to suffer emotionally, you're going to be lonely. You're going to look at your finances and go, How in the world are we going to make this happen? Your business is going to struggle or you're going to struggle athletically or you're going to struggle academically or maybe right now you're struggling because of what happened academically at the end of May uh, this year. Pain is a part of life. You're going to experience pain and so am I. So let me give you a second thought. Let's try to figure out the source of our pain. If If you're going to suffer, here's what wise people do. Wise people try to figure out where the suffering is coming from. You know, if you were to go to a doctor and you were to tell them, I, I ache all over, the doctor is probably not going to diagnose that. as just ache all over. They're going to look for a source of the pain. Are you go in and you go, well, my back hurts and my leg's numb. You know, they're going to figure out maybe that you have a slipped disc. They're going to look for the source of your pain. And that's what I want to encourage us to do now. How do we look for the source of our pain? What does it look like? I want to give you this to start with. Seek counsel from God and other people. You go, I'm suffering. Man, I'm lonely. I'm hurting. My finances are falling apart. I don't have friends. I'm depressed. Can you pinpoint What's going on? You know, a great place to go is to ask God and other people. In verse 6 through 8, Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to God for help. To cry out means to shriek or to call in danger. It's to seek help from someone or God. It was God here. They wanted God to help them and guide them. And it says in verse 7 and 8, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, God sent a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We're going to see more of what he says in just a moment. But here's my thoughts on this for you and for me. When, when the Jewish people finally, seven years into their suffering, let me ask you this, how long are you going to have to suffer before you start looking for help? Amen. Some of you, God, God or somebody's going to have to keep that thumb on you until you finally decide to look up and to look out. It says they look to God, and then God sent them a prophet. A no name prophet will know in heaven who this person is. We don't know now. I believe this is one of only two people who are called prophets in the book of Judges, along with Deborah, who we saw earlier, a prophetess. I want to encourage you. You go, man, my life is great right now. I'm not suffering at all. Please know when you have that attitude that God or somebody's fixing to knock you off your horse. When you suffer, get alone with God. Open your Bible, read your Bible, pray, and ask God, show me what is the source of my pain. God, what's going on in my life? Pray with a pen and a paper in hand. And listen to God. And by the way, most of the time this doesn't happen in five minutes. Sometimes it takes five weeks or five months to figure out what God's going to tell you. God sent a prophet. God sent another human to talk to them. You know, other people can help you identify what's going on in your life. Talk to your pastors. Talk to your friends. Talk to a counselor. Find somebody in that mix, hopefully one of your pastors, who are godly. You need some people in your life who love God more than they do anything else and who will speak truth to you. But try to discover the source, and it begins with seeking God's counsel and seeking the counsel of godly people. Now, I want to give you four scenarios. This is not exhaustive, but but as we look to figure out the source of our suffering, I want to give you four possibilities tonight. And here's the first. Sometimes it, it's, it's just the pain of being human. It's just part of being a human being that, that, you, that, you, that you suffer. Now, this is not the case here with these Jewish people. They weren't suffering because they were just humans minding their own business, and out of nowhere, life knocks them down. But here's the truth. Life is going to, to deal you some hard heartache. We live in a sinful and broken world. If you don't believe me, go home tonight and watch the news for 30 minutes. A sinful, broken world. And until you get to heaven, you're going to have problems. It's part of life. 1986, I was 23 years old, just turned 23. My parents decided to move from Jackson, Tennessee, where we had lived for 19 years. We'd moved there when I was four. That was the only home I knew. I was going back there to raise the dog and to take over when I finished preaching, whenever that was or will be. And my dad sold the farm and he moved to Texas, which, by the way, was a great decision, but it didn't feel that way at the time. And I remember one of my friends who was wise but wasn't very sympathetic. You know what? He put his arm on my shoulder and he said, Chris, that's just life. It's just life. Thanks a lot. Can you hit me again in the stomach? I mean, that helps, doesn't it? But you know what? Six months later, I realized that is just life. Life brings you and deals you some pain, doesn't it? Here's a second option. Maybe it's a direct attack from Satan. You know, in a sense, all pain has some some satanic in it, doesn't it? I mean, it, it does in the sense that Satan's going... Listen... Anytime, whether, it, whether it's just life or some of these other things we're going to see in a moment, Satan is going to try to get into your hurt to discourage you, to get you to quit, to get you to take your life. John 10.10 10 is a verse that many of us love. It says, I've come that you ha- might have life and life more abundantly. But the first end of that says, the thief who is the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes your suffering is a direct attack from Satan. Go home tonight. Don't try to read it tonight. Read the book of Job. I remember someone telling me they would read Job for the first time, and they said, when does it get better? I said, there's 42 chapters. In chapter 42, it gets better. (laughs) But Satan will attack you. Here's the third thing. Sometimes your pain is caused by other people behavior. I didn't put in their dumb, obnoxious, wrong, and hurtful behavior. But do you get my drift? Sometimes your pain is caused because of other people. In verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did wicked. They they were malicious. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of their enemies, the Midianites, to punish them. Now, we're going to see in just a second, a lot of these people were suffering because of their sinfulness. But there were godly people here suffering because of other people's sinfulness. This is a tough one to swallow, isn't it? Sometimes people don't mean to. That's not intentional, it's indirect. But they do things that hurt us, amen? Amen. Some of you are suffering tonight. You're carrying a burden. You're depressed. You're struggling. You're worried because of somebody else's lack of brains. They keep closing their eyes and running into the wall, and it just happens to be your wall that they dent every time they run into it, right? Other people bring hurt and pain to our lives. Sometimes people are just wicked, too. Folks, when it says they were wicked, these people were immoral. They worshiped false gods. And their wickedness brought pain into the lives of some godly people. Hear me for a moment, then go back to sleep. Bad people will always hurt you. God loves bad people, and bad people need to be saved. They need to be in church. Church is a place for everybody. But you don't date bad people. I'll make them better. No, you won't. I'll marry them and make them better. No, you won't. I'll hang around them. Will you hang around them in a proper sense? But you don't let them become consuming to you. Bad people hurt people. That's what they do. There's a legend told, it's kind of corny, but I think there's a good lesson here of a frog and a scorpion that met on a shore one day. And the, the frog was fixing to cross the river. The scorpion can't swim. I don't know if scorpions can swim, but for this story to be good, they can't swim. And the scorpion asked the frog, he said, can I get on your back and you carry me across the creek? And the frog said, no, because you will sting me and I might die. And the scorpion pleaded and he begged and he says, I won't, I won't, I won't. Please carry me across the creek. The frog gave in, merciful, kind, tender-hearted. The scorpion gets on his back about halfway across the river. He feels that stinger in his back. He feels the poison begin to go throughout his little frog body. And he turns around the scorpion and he says, why? Why? The scorpion smiled and says, because I hurt things. I sting things. That's what I do, that's who I am. Bad people will hurt you, they will bring havoc and pain into your life. Some of you are suffering tonight because of other people's lack of brains or some people's evilness. Sometimes you need to create some walls and some spaces. Not a 5-foot boundary, maybe a 10-mile boundary or a 10-state boundary. But other people will hurt you. But let me make it more personal tonight. Because it's easy to kick on everybody else. Sometimes our pain is a result of our own sinful choices. this gets more personal, doesn't it? I want to read verse 1 again. Again, the Israelites did evil, wicked, morally bad. They worshiped false gods. They disobeyed God. They were immoral, idolatrous. Look at verse 8 through 10. Boy, this is telling. He sent this prophet, and here's what the prophet says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Verse 10, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Wow. God says, I've delivered you over and over. I've delivered you from your enemies over and over. And you disobey me over and over. And you wonder why you have so much pain and chaos in your life. Wow. We should have stuck with that other point. Y'all were more into that. God said to them, hey, man. You, you want to worship false gods? You want to ignore me? You want to be immoral? You want to be wicked? You want to be like the bad people? And you suffer? Here's your hint. This is why. Maybe tonight, certainly not, not everybody, but maybe your pain tonight has something to do with your sin. Here's a good side of that. God's going to spank you if you belong to him. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, Charles Spurgeon said one time, a great English preacher, says, God does not let his children enjoy their sins. God doesn't let his children sin successfully. And some of you tonight, again, this isn't the cause of all of it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying But maybe your depression, your anxiety, your loneliness, your your lack of friends, your, your problems at work, your problems financially, your problems emotionally. Maybe it comes back, maybe even physically, to the sin in your life that you're not dealing with. We're slack with God. We don't serve. We don't give. We're immoral. We use our mouth in bad ways and we wonder why God doesn't bless us or why we're feeling the wrath of God and the pain of God in our life. Hey, don't blame God when you get away from God and you suffer. Oh, why is God letting this happen to me? A lot of times God's just letting your life run its natural course that you've created. And I've got my glasses stuck in my cord. Got it. What do we do? What do we do? It's never good for a preacher just to remind us that our lives are terrible, <laughs> like there's no hope. There's a lot of hope. What do we do? We'll give you three things. Number one, go to God. Go to God. Verse six. Midian so impoverished the Israelites they cried out to God. Remember that Hebrew word is a distress call. It's a 911 call to God. Isn't it great anytime you call that to God, he always answers. The pain from the sin in their life finally caused them to sit up and to turn to God. Will you turn to God. Maybe your pain has nothing to do with sin. Maybe whatever it is, it's somebody else. It's just life. Turn to God. Maybe it is a result of your sin. Turn to God. This isn't an original quote with me, but it's a great quote. Let your extremity be God's opportunity. Let the extremity of your pain and your situation become an opportunity for God to do something great in your life. Amen. Turn to God. I said this earlier, it took them seven stinking years. How long will it take you and me? Turn to God. When? Tonight. Turn to God tonight. Let others help you. I'm not going to read it all again, but remember that God sent this prophet to them. In verse 12, we're going to see next week, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to a man named Gideon. And he said, The Lord is with you. God is going to send this man, Gideon, to help him. Let a pastor, let a counselor, let a friend, let someone who's godly and who loves you help you in your pain. Go to God and let other people help you. And here's the last thing. Maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to repent. The Jewish people didn't get this in verse 10. They hadn't got it yet. We look at it one more time. God said, I'm the Lord your God. Don't worship other gods. You did it, but you have not listened to me. What do I mean by repent? Well, if you're a Christian, if you're a lost person, you need to repent and come to Christ tonight. If you're a Christian... A part of your daily MO, a daily life habit needs to be confessing your sins and repenting of them daily. Maybe tonight God has unearthed some things or He's going to in your life That you need to repent of. What does repent mean? Repent's a 180. It means you're going this way and you turn around and you go a different direction. Most of us repent like this. We go this way, we turn around, and then we go, well, I think I'll go back this way, don't we? Now, now if you're taking notes, write this down. Repentance is about direction, not perfection. You see, a lot of times we think, I'm going to repent, and then I fail, I stumble. And so we, we, we say, I, I can't do this. I've got to be perfect. No, repentance is not about perfection, because you won't be perfect this side of heaven. It's about direction. Some of us need tonight to make a change to get away from the pain in our life. Repentance. You're going to stumble, you're going to fall, but it's a change of direction. Not perfectly, but it's a change of direction in your life. So I want to ask you this evening, what do you need to do? Maybe in a moment, you're here tonight and you're a Christian. Maybe you want to come and just have a minister pray with you. Pray at the altar for whatever you're going through. Maybe as a Christian, you need to come this evening and repent. To get on your knees or to or to pray with the minister or where you're standing, you need to get right with God. Do that tonight. Maybe this evening God's leading you and, and, and you're not a member of this church and it's time to join. Come and join us tonight. You need a church family. Come and join us. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ and the, and the thing that's, that's sticking in your heart is that you've never crossed that line. I want to invite you to stand. And as we stand, I want to invite you to respond. Don't wait seven years. Don't wait another week. Do what God's laid on your heart this evening.